Hi, John. Oh, hi, Marlon. Oh, hi, John. How are you? Oh, it's you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's you as well. Oh, it's you. Oh. Oh. Hello. Well, rather. Uh, oh, boy. It's early. Yeah, I know. I know. I've started sleeping later. I don't love it. What, oh, wait, wait a minute. The, those... I thought that that story was going to go one direction. I started sleeping later. It's amazing. Yeah. And then it went the other way. I don't love it. Well, it's a situational thing, I think. Yeah. yeah. The school year has begun. And um, I am, I'm at this point, I think I'm probably 11 for 11. And uh, dad <laughs> practically slept through everybody leaving the house in the morning. Uh-huh. 11 for 11. You haven't caught a breakfast yeah. yet, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, she, she used to go to, uh, when she went to elementary school, like like kids do, uh, it was literally uh, what, two and a half blocks away. Right I would walk right. her there every day. I'd get exercise. And um, and now she goes to a school more in the middle of town. And it's it's a little bit of a, you know, a journey, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, especially when dad doesn't drive. Does she like the, uh, the, uh, the greater autonomy of of, of taking care of herself in the morning. Um, it, just in general, her autonomy is uh, has gone places we couldn't imagine. Like uh-huh. I told you, she takes these long walks. Yeah. She'll walk to Golden Gate Park. She takes Muni home at uh-huh. this point mostly, and doesn't hate it, which is weird. But I don't know. I, I always assume she's with some man she met on the internet. Oh sure, or, or woman, or they. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, she should do her. But, no, no, I just, I, I like the later sleep, and, and I like to capture bonus sleep. It's an ongoing project for me, mm-hmm. is can I get bonus sleep and then super bonus sleep? Mm-hmm. But it's just the timing Level situationally, up. you know? You ever do that? You ever go like, you know, I could do another hour? Oh, Merlin. That's yeah. my every, that's my every day and always has been. You know, my my catchphrase when I was in fifth and sixth grade was, Five more minutes, please. Five more mm. minutes. I just wanted five more minutes. Now, what I really wanted was two hours more, but I, I could negotiate five minutes a couple of times before I had to get up. I never, mm-hmm. ever, ever should li- have lived in this world. Mm-mm. It's not. This is not the world for me. This is a different world. It's a world for people that live in the on, we're on a 24-hour clock instead of a 28-hour clock. I was about like to say, that's, this is your innovation and your arguably maybe your curse is that you are not on a 24-hour clock, and it's not like you haven't tried. Oh, that's all I've done. Is try, I've tried and tried and tried. But like uh, the last few days, I've been going to bed at 1.30 a.m., mm-hmm. which better, is better, better, better than before. Right? Mm-hmm. It's two yeah. hours earlier. At least, yeah. And um, and what that means is that there is a shot at me getting eight hours of sleep, and it's it's good. Except I don't think I get very good quality sleep, so I still am a little bit. Uh, but I'm always looking for an extra hour somewhere or other. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. you. What what you want? What you want, want is so. What you want. Is somewhere in the middle of the night, let's say four thirty a.m., we set the clocks back. Oh, and then you wake up at a reasonable hour, but somewhere in then, somewhere in there, two extra hours got added in. Right? I. It's a kind of um, what would you call it? Lo-fi time travel. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Lo-fi yeah. time travel. You just you, you you're not enjoying it, or I mean, you're not conscious of it. You just go. Back in time two hours, and then live out your normal timeline. And if you could do it every night, the problem is- I could is find that, a pocket sleep universe. Hmm. Pocket, you know, somewhere, like, somewhere where I could tuck like in- a, Like a Madam Butterfly? What, you mean like a strap-on? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Basically, mm-hmm. I find some kind of an existential uh, alcove I could tuck into to have a nap within my sleep. Like, what exactly. if I had a way, it's like a kind of uh, multitasking. What if I could sl- sleep while I sleep on two different time scales? <laughs> or, put differently, if I could turn back the clock on the universe while I get, in a, say, an extra 90 minutes. Some, something like that. There's got to be a trick in here somewhere. 
I think I've told you about my my roommate Shannon um, back in the early '90s. Shannon was a a uh, he worked at he he worked in the kitchen at a um, at one of the big seafood restaurants downtown. Bing clam chowder. He he ran the uh, oyster bar. Bing clam chowder. Bing Bing clam chowder. Yeah. Bing clam bing, chowder. Bing Bing. Bing cherries and clams. I like the sound of that. <laughs> okay. Um, and he... Um, but that's you know, a stinky job. That must be a stinky job. Well, he, he, you know, he enjoys it. It's it, Being the guy at the Oyster Bar, you know, in a downtown seafood restaurant, you get all the lawyers come in at lunch. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a stage. He was a rap artist. Okay. Early, early 90s. Hmm. Uh, and so he liked the, uh, he liked stage time wherever he could get it and, and shucking oysters for people and talking to them. You know, it's you're, you're like their bartender kind of. I get it. A performer. It's, it's yeah, hip-hop uh, mollusks. Yeah, except it's oysters instead of drinks. I mean, they mm-hmm. had drinks too. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I came into our apartment one time and Shannon was sitting there uh, drawing, sketching out some schematics. Big, big. He had a bunch of pages going, big schematics. And I and I said, and he was, you know, Shannon was also... Very science fiction. He's very science fiction oriented. Uh, the 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 term nerd didn't exist at the time, uh, and he wouldn't have said he was a nerd because he um, he dressed all in black with combat boots and he carried um, a full size mag light on his belt. And oh, I know the type. A few yep, other yep, tools, yep. kind of closer to what we think of maybe as a goth. Well, except he thought of himself as an urban ninja, like an urban combat. Ninja. He, did he ever do run sound somewhere? Because that, that is the well. I mean, like that to me sounds like somebody who who works at the club, you know, and like like the 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 you say has flashlight, right? Yeah, but the, the the you know those guys they have the small flashlight, the small mag lights, the little ones. Okay, because you don't need all that mag light. No, the, he used the mag light. The mag light for him was a weapon. It was it was meant to be like a Seattle a baton, was more, like a baton. It was a baton. Oh. Seattle was a more dangerous town then. Mm. They're always throwing and, fish. Well, and he he rode a mountain bike everywhere, and I think Shannon sounds cool. <laughs> oh, he was cool, and he did. You know, he See, is he a white fellow or an African American man? No, he was African American. He he because there wasn't that much white rapping going on at the time, and I'm loving the, I'm loving the aesthetic in my mind uh, of him on a would you say a dirt bike like a no it was like a it was uh, it was a proto mountain bike it wasn't like a mountain bike like the ones you would see now it was a street let's say it was an urban mountain bike it was meant Oof. for it had. It didn't have knobby tires. It had. Slick. I get it. I get it. Street legal. And yeah. but Shannon sounds sounds very cool. And he sounds like you know you catch him on the wrong day. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to touch the ninja. You know. Oh, you don't want to mess with this guy. Shannon was very. He was very muscular. He was very. Uh, Shannon. Shannon was uh, was legendary. His nickname was Spike. Hmm. And he had he had dreads, but they were spikes. They were they were short. They were. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. So, so Spike kind of went brother from another planet type situation, maybe a Donald Glover. And, uh, Spike was working on this project for a while. This, like he was drawing out this schematic and eventually, you know, I finally said, so what's, um, (laughs) you know, what's the project here? Like you're building the thing and he's, you know, very science fiction. He had a lot of futuristic notions. He really, he believed in technology and the future. Nowadays, we would we would say that he was a nerd, but at the time, he thought he would never have said nerd. He was he was in a different and you know and the fact is he's not a nerd. He's just he likes robots, and that's mm-hmm. what he was building. He was building a robot, except it was a robot that he could get inside. Like uh, I think it was based on the. On the loader in Aliens, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and an exoskeleton, if you an like. exoskeleton. A, a, is, a, is, a, is it a Gundam? What do you call that? Or you could be like a Jaeger, right? You could get get one of those. You go to fight some kaiju, and you're going to need a Sigourney Weaver suit. Yeah, these you know. are all wonderful words, but I don't know what the, what any of them mean. I'm so I'm sorry. I'm yes. so sorry. The point being, this is a hip hip hop clansman who mm. also. Well, that's a really poor choice of words. Clamsman. You gotta be real careful. It's like that 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 adverb we don't use anymore. The, the M and the N are right next to each other. He's a clamsman. And so, and so you'd seen him working on his schematics for a while and thought, huh, wonder what's up with Shannon. Well, we were always working on stuff at home, you know, like everybody always had was always drawing something or screwing mm-hmm. with something. We were always trying to invent some kind of thing, some robot that was gonna, you know, save the world or destroy the world. I'm not a nerd, as you know. 
Mm-mm. Not, um, not a nerd, not a fan. Never was, never was. But, um, you know, we would watch Akira and we would go get all into how motorcycles should be rather than how motorcycles are. Mm-hmm. And so Shannon said, he was very excited to tell me about the project. Because, of course, we were also on drugs. Oh, okay. Oh, Shannon said, too. Okay. Oh. Whew. Whew. Shannon said, I think this is an unbeatable. I think it's a, I think it, I think this is the future. It's an unbeatable idea. I just have to get the funding to build it. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's a robot exoskeleton that will work the clam bar while I sleep inside it. Oh, I see. And okay. I said, if you could I build see. a robot that could work the clam bar. Yeah, why even be there? Why would you have to be there? You could just send the robot. And he said, <laughs> because I would be inside getting paid. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I understand. And I, I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I don't understand because, yeah, it just seems like it would be better to have the suit do the work. I'm just worried also about the business. Oh, the businessmen are probably real busy doing business and deals and stuff. Yeah, yep, but it would be do. if I looked over and and I saw I saw a ninja man inside of a suit like that. I would I would have to assume the robot had abducted him <laughs> to make him uh, sort of like a Matrix thing. Like maybe maybe in order maybe there's some um, who's the who's the, who's the who's the robot rules guy? Arthur not Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, Whoever it is, whoever the Asimov. robot guy is, yeah, um, yeah, Asimov's robot laws. Maybe, maybe there's some secret codicil. There's like a fifth law that you also have, you have to have a robot. <laughs> a robot has to have some kind of a human component. Sure, a mind. And we say, like, if I was on Twitter, you'd say, "Was this written by a robot?" You know, because. But I. But that's super interesting. Would they be able to tell that he's sleeping? I think you would have to have. I, I mean, I don't remember. Give an eye perfectly. shade with eyes drawn on them or something. I think what it would have to be is you'd have to have a kind of glass window where you could see Shannon sleeping and then probably an explanatory sign like <laughs> your clams are being prepared by a robot suit of my design, but I am here if uh-huh. you need, and then there's a red button. If you need I me, see. press the button. Like like a like a call bell. Like, yeah. like you'd say, can you please come to the front and help? In this case, I'm sorry to trouble you, Shannon. Could you, I read your sign. They haven't invented QR codes yet, so I have to read this whole thing uh, on, on your exoskeleton. But, you know, uh, I wanted to, to try the, uh, what, the Kalamatas instead or uh-huh. whatever. Kumamatas? Kumamatas. A shucking knife is a very, you know, it's a powerful tool. I think a robot could probably shuck oysters faster than a human if it had been properly constructed. If it were, if it's, if it were today, the AI and ML of a robot with a shocking knife, mm-hmm. I'll bet you there would be some extreme bloody horror for the first few hours, and then it would be a nonstop shocking machine. Just a shucking machine. That's right. Uh, but And then Shannon's in there. But the thing logs. is, he's getting paid, right? At the end of, of the day, the robot doesn't get paid. Plus he tips. Paid. Robots don't get tips. Plus, plus tips. And I don't know how much I would tip a guy that was sleeping inside of a robot suit, <laughs> but it, the robot this is a robot right? brandy snifter you put in it, I mean, like the, the robot, piano man. You know, might might lean over with that shucking knife and be like, "Please tip twenty five percent." You'd be like, "Oh yes, yes." You have ma'am. twenty seconds to comply. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <clears throat> but I think about that a lot. I still think about sure. that. That was what was that nineteen ninety three that we had that conversation. He worked on it even at. Even after I pointed out, or not pointed out, even after I had some questions, you know, I interrogated him pretty thoroughly. Like, well, now, so you'd be, so you know, I, that, that kind of, and he, it didn't dissuade him. It didn't slow him. So down you were, you were kind of, perhaps like me, a little bit hung up on um, that. The uh, not, not whether this is a good idea or whether this is possible, but if, if I understand what your goal is, Shannon, what's your, your kind of your handful of goals are, I'm, I, I just want to understand more about how this gets you to those goals. And there might be different ways, but let's keep talking about this robot suit, because obviously this is going to be the future. Yeah, the, the key element, this is the, the, the key element that Shannon could not, this is the, the, the always the thing about science fiction, right? We always think we're, we sit and think about it, we're using all of our powers to, um, to imagine a, a future landscape and 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 populate it with ourselves, but we never fully understand how much different the future. You know how how 
in what ways the future is going to That's be? That's one of the truest things that you have ever said. It's absolutely true. And it goes for a million things. We've talked about this before. One, one uh, when you and I were uh, especially little kids, you were a very little kid, there was a huge concern about what they called the population bomb. Mm, and the idea, bomb. like one of the most sort of apocalyptic things, I would obviously more than climate, because that wasn't a thing yet, perhaps even more than nuclear holocaust, was this idea that like the population is growing too quickly and there's not going to be enough food and, and blah, da, da, da. You just can't and, grow that much food. But then, but like we don't, you can't account for what happens in the future. Uh, the like the future is not changing, evolving, moving in a way that has over much to do with the thing you've chosen to focus on. And so you might be really surprised to find something uh, sneaking up from the side that you hadn't even thought about, right. and then that becomes a different problem. Like like what we learned with a lot of stuff is just not the, not a lack of food; it's a lack of will to like deliver it to the people who need it. Mm. Um, but also this guy, I heard somebody say this yesterday on, I watched, I watched the hurricane all day yesterday. Mm. I saw this whole my family, I'm watching the hurricane. Yeah. And, and one guy said something so smart. Um, and it was about, it was basically about, I think it had to do with, oh my gosh, this is so scary. Ida is coming up. It's going, it's already probably knocked out some oil refineries, which oil refineries uh, produce up to you know twenty percent of the U.S. supply of oil, uh, but also it's headed toward the cancer corridor between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, where it's just cheek to jowl all like you know chemical industries. Anyway, long story short, this guy said something that reminded me of this. Resonated was that you know it seems obvious, but like the, we spent the last hundred years preparing for the problems we thought we were the world we were dealing with in the last hundred years. This also goes for Afghanistan. This goes for everything. And now we're in these situations where we have all this in, in computer stuff, you'd call it technical debt. You've got all this stuff you're kind of stuck with as the system and almost no way to pivot with any kind of alacrity. And, and you're, you're, you're kind of stuck with that. And, and like, that's the same problem thing we talked about with like, what a sci-fi, sci-fi always looks like, whatever is the cutting edge right at the moment. I mean, one time sci-fi was probably fax machines, you know? But but Shannon had a fantastic boo boo boo. He had a fantastical vision of a future beyond uh, b- being a rapping clamsman. I, yes, I, I, I think. But, but, but he was constrained. One, he's constrained by the past. Well, he's constrained. The one constraint was that he could not think beyond the idea that you had to go to work to get paid. You had to oh, be there. Oh, that's the how the problem get you. was not that there wasn't an efficient way to shut clams. The problem was not that we didn't quite have the technology to build exoskeletons that you could power, you know, powered exoskeletons that you could wear to work. None of these things were the problem. He could, he could surmount these problems. Mm -hmm. No, the problem was he had to get up and go to work every day and he was trying to, and that, and that would remain true. Yeah. Even after we'd put a man on the moon. Right. And what he couldn't. There's a man on the moon, but he still got to go to work and shuck a clam. Right. What's, what, he, are you, what are you gonna, What are you doing for me, Buzz Aldrin? <coughs> he wasn't thinking past his current iteration as a as a uh, as a clamsman either. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, he, we weren't sitting in that apartment, and he wasn't saying, "One day I'm going to own a record label, or one day I'm going to be the you know the the first man on Mars." He, you know, his vision. He, I think he felt that building an exoskeleton was maybe a more immediate possibility than it actually was. He hadn't read the, he hadn't read the papers. Well, if it were me, I would realize I am to some extent sniffing my own farts. Where like I have a long history of getting very, very into something way more than makes a ton of sense. But I'm so intoxicated with the idea yeah. that um, I'll tend to kind of look past the parts of it that aren't as practical because I'm so, I'm so excited and, and buoyed by the idea of, in this case, you know, having a Sigourney Weaver uh, suit. Yeah. If you think about, I mean, right now at Boston Dynamics, there's someone oh God. walking up sorry. and down the they're halls. They're going to be so sorry. They're, well, they're walking up and up and down the halls mm. in a robot suit with a shucking knife looking for a clam. And they nobody, might have taught we, those goddamn dogs how to do it at this point. We we uh, we don't know what they're doing because they only post videos after they've already made the terrifying thing, but the but the deeply terrifying things that are I guess in their basement they don't even seem to have a basement. Oh, I 
I don't, I don't even look for the dogs. Like, you know me. Real life, I love a dog. I say hello to every dog. I say, hey, buddy, to hey, every buddy. dog. And then, and then sometimes I, I'm, you know, I'm not usually this outgoing. Well, I'll say, is it okay if I say hi to your dog? Oh. And I put out my fist because I love dogs. Now, the Boston Dynamics dogs, you can already tell that they're going to be in uh, whatever we use for film strips in the future to explain how it all began. Yeah. We thought it was cute. It was that was cute to have an electronic dog, but then we taught it how to how to become a clansman, and then we we couldn't turn it back. Yeah, some of us thought it was never cute. The first time I think it's I think it's Eldritch Horror, John. The first time I saw any of those Boston Dynamics things, you can't knock them down. You ever try to knock one of those down? Or they tear the doorknob, <laughs> the dogs tear the doorknobs off. Ha ha ha! Have you never watched any science fiction movies, you people? No, you have. Right. You surely have. You just had. Have weird, you ever watched the third act of a science fiction movie? Is the question. Blinders on, you know, like you're. Yeah, you're America only watches the, the first two thirds of every movie. That's this is the, this is the problem. Don't build the murder things. It should have been right no. there when you signed the contract. They were like, "Would you like to build murder things?" You should have said, "Ah, no, no, don't do that." Don't well, you, you see the, the, one of the thing. drones they used the other day? The uh, it's a take on the Hellfire. Did oh, you? Yeah. That's read a good with take. The six, with the six blades, did you read mm. about this? No, tell me about the six blades. Like a Gillette. Yeah, it's like a Gillette. Fuck it, we're doing six blades. It's um, it's a Hellfire. There's all kinds of different Hellfires that you can uh, get different attachments to. Most of them look like Doctor Who's Sonic. uh, Excuse me, the Doctor's Sonic screwdriver. Uh, But in this case, you can go look. I think it's called the RN95 or something like that. But well, go look on the Hellfire page on the Internet Science site. But 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 the notion is it the there's no ordinance, right? So when this thing, it's an unusual missile. In the sense that, yeah, it gets shot, I think, from a drone. It's an over-the-horizon attack, as they say. I know you love those. I do. And, um, you said it had eight blades? Is that right? Six. <laughs> six blades? <laughs> no, for Christmas, they're releasing one with eight blades. <laughs> and that little soapy strip. Yeah, and instead of exploding, it just... <laughs> it's, it's so horrific. Well, it just chops so them many, up? It just chops it them just, up? It's like, imagine like you've got fins. And oh. well, supposedly this is top secret, but it's not really top secret. And what you see will be... Uh, renderings of what we imagine it looks like knowing what we know about the hellfire but it's got these six imagine like the blades of like a wily e. coyote bomb except it's got these big blades like up near the nose and it just crushes it goes and sh- just sh- shreds whatever it hits and if you see what this what, a, what an automobile looks like when this thing hits it mm-hmm. it's almost scarier than an explosion mm. it's it's very medieval mm. um uh, what were we talking about with the suit? got the suit. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's we the just, R9X. It's the R9X. R9X. There you go. It, uh, there you it's go. got a halo of a six A halo of six. Blades. Yeah, Wall Street Journal had a, had a piece that I got to read the first three paragraphs of. Oh, that's exciting. There's <laughs> a thing John Syracuse taught me. Um, um, my worst friend, John, taught me that I have come to really appreciate. And he calls it the XY problem. I mean, I don't yeah. think he named it. But I don't know if we talked about this, but that, the XY... That seems, like a, that seems like a pretty generic name for a problem that's on an XY axis. I, well, I do it a lot. So let's say, for example, uh, the XY problem in this case might be... I mean, I don't want to presume what Shannon's X is, but it's when you ask... For one way to think of this, and the way it applies to me so often, is I ask for fairly detailed advice from somebody I consider an expert to teach me how to solve or fix X... But I never told them that the thing I'm really trying to accomplish is why. Okay? And so yep. you can get a lot more expertise and usefulness if instead of, and I do this all the time with people, especially like with customer support people, because I think I'm smart. Oh, I mm-hmm. think here's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's, it's one of those things where you try to be smart, and yet instead you end up dumb because, and I'm not saying Shannon did this. I am very intrigued by this suit. I would love to see the schematics. If he ever puts that out, I will buy that book. Mm-hmm. But like in my, in that case is, well, what is it you're trying to solve here? Are you trying to solve like, I don't want to go to work? Or are you trying to solve like, I want a cool suit? Because there's probably, the, the answer to why is probably a lot less complicated than the suit. Although it's not nearly as fun as well, the see, X of the suit. I think you've zoomed in on a couple of things. I mean, definitely what he, what he wanted was not to have to go to work. To get more sleep, what we really did then, what our jobs really were, was to go get <clears throat> messed up every night uh-huh. oh, and yeah. go on uh, go on messed up adventures as people who were urban ninjas who were messed up. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was I was always a I was never an urban ninja. I was never I was never more than an uh, like an urban uh, English community college English professor. <laughs> 
so, you know, when the superhero team all got together, you know, Shannon uh-huh. was like, Hashink! and then, you know, uh, Dave Emiliano Mitchell was like, Hasha! and then mm-hmm. I showed up like, you know, and a bunch of papers fell out of a file under the yeah, floor. Yeah, if I, get, like, if I capture my... enough coins from this, will I get to get tenure? <laughs> <laughs> and, I need a second elbow patch. <clears throat> but Shannon definitely perceived in his interactions with the city that he could benefit from an exoskeleton. Because we were, I, I wouldn't say that we were always getting in fights, but there were a lot of zombies in Seattle then. Right. You know, like the Seattle's po- zombie population goes up and then it goes down and it goes up and it's, it's up right You're talking now. about urban street zombies here. It was, that, and, th- and this was, you know, <clears throat> like early 90s, it was, it was peak, peak zombie, certain kind of zombie. And so Shannon always felt every time he walked, I mean, we all did. Every time you walk out of the house at a certain hour of the day or night, you felt, felt like you were kind of going into a combat situation. Mm-hmm. So Shannon was already up armoring himself all the time. Mm. He had, you know, he wasn't quite wearing football pads, but when he watched Escape from New York or, or Road oh, Warrior, yeah. he was taking notes. Yeah, he was aspiring to a time when or, or when we all anticipated this is the other failure of science fiction. You assume that the that the dystopia is not only inevitable, but it's gonna look a certain way. And everybody's gonna, you know, like they're gonna be fighting over the hockey pads in <laughs> the abandoned mall because you're gonna need hockey pads. And it's not gonna be, you know, a dystopia like this one where you're just trying to get you, – you've been denied access to your Facebook account or whatever and your mm. world comes to an end. Okay. So he's he was always <clears throat> up armoring with with all this found you know, shin pads or whatnot. He definitely wanted uh, the robot suit for that. But <clears throat> the real problem he was trying to figure out is how not to be poor. Oh, that's th- the why. Yeah, this was the this was the problem we all had that we didn't know that there was a solution to, but he was try he felt like he was going to game it. He was he was they weren't they didn't see him coming, mm. and he was going to end up not being poor because he had built a suit to do his work while he slept inside it. Okay, <laughs> not that he had decided he'd learned how not to be poor by building a suit and selling the suit. Building the suit and selling it to the government to so use. So if you went on Shark Tank, Mister Wonderful would say, "Okay, I'm going to give you this money. I want to I want to get money from money back from each unit you sell. But ultimately, I think we should sell the license to to make the uh, the, the Ninja Clamsman exoskeleton." Right, and he would say, "No way. I'm here for the suit, bra." <laughs> in in a way, right? He was. He was ahead of the Boston Dynamic. I mean, the, somewhere mm-hmm. at that point hmm. in time, 1991, there were some people our age who were in a room in Boston, and they were like sketching out an exoskeleton and thinking, "How do we make this work?" Sure. Shannon should have been with them. He should have been. He should have figured out a way. He should have ridden his bike across the country and joined that elite team. Hmm. And he would be there making making murder dogs now. He might have been the savior of humanity. I, I suspect it's too late at this point. At this point, probably the dogs are running Boston. I think Shannon would have happily contributed to the murder dogs. He would not have really. Been, no, he okay. would have been happy to. Once he learned that a he could build murder dogs and b that he could be on the other side of the control panel, like he could run the murder dogs. See, it's that. Now I don't want to say again. I'm not going to say this is Shannon. I have not met the man. But it, there is a certain conceit to this. This goes back to to, to Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. right? There's mm-hmm. this conceit that, like, oh, I'll be able to hand, I'll be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'll, this will, it'll all be fine because I'm a real smart guy with access to lightning mm-hmm. and some brains. I'd be normal. Like, I'm going to be able to make this the way that it's never going to become a murder dog. And then maybe at some point, you actually become a little bit enamored of the murder doggery. Mm-hmm. I, knowing Shannon. I believe he would have gone in eyes open, trying to make murder dogs, never looking for a peaceful. Uh, it was utility. a different time, John. It really was. Yeah. I think it's you know, and I, I really that's a phrase that does not get you a lot of cred nowadays to say it was a different time. It's a different time. But, but for Shannon, it would have been a different time. He hadn't seen. He didn't know from murder dogs at that point. You know, he had not been through what we've been through. I mean, not to make it dark. But I think if you pulled a lot of people in Berlin in uh, in in say nineteen twenty nine thirty, 
you know, they, they would have bet on, on, a, on a different 30s coming down the pike. I think that Shannon was <laughs> trying to, uh, was in a way ultimately trying to solve what he imagined was a future zombie problem. We had, oh. we had X zombies in 1993. What would make anyone think that there wouldn't be twice that many zombies in 1997? Right? I mean, I you're mean, just. I mean, that's just, that's how it would work. I mean, yeah. that, that's biology, right? I yes, think it's biology. Except what happened was a, uh, like a, a money wave came in mm. in 2000, whenever that was, seven mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. Whenever the money wave came in. Was the it money wave. 2007? Yeah. They backed up the money truck and then boop, 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 boop. the money washed away all the zombies for a while. Mm-hmm. And then one the day a real rain's going to come wash yeah. all the zombies off. <laughs> and the, the zombies washed back in. It's, mm-hmm. a t- it's basically a t- it's an estuary. Tidal. T- zombie tidal problem. Tidal yeah. estuary. But they can't, <laughs> but you cannot. Estuary, it, is that where salt and fresh water uh, are exchanged? Yeah, I believe so. I is believe there an estuary? A, an estuary is where a river runs into the sea and, and makes mm-hmm. a sort of twisty, twiny. You know, the mm-hmm. Mississippi ran backwards last uh, yesterday. I saw that. I was watching yeah. the hurricane. I saw that. That's interesting. Did you see that one where the roof tore off in like little bits? It's the one they kept showing over and over. It looked like Inception. It was wild, man. Yeah, the funny thing was they kept showing it over and over. So, yeah, you couldn't miss it. Every time they didn't credit, I'd say, credit Megan. Megan Megan took that. It feels like right now, (laughs) as a a hurricane watcher, hurricane watcher. Oh, you come from Weather Family, John. You and your mom. Hurricane watcher. Hurricane watcher. (laughs) Yes. uh, (laughs) Everyone loves loves a big storm up here. Yeah. And uh, we're getting real tired of fires, but <clears throat> the problem with the uh, with with Ida pummeling Louisiana and all the live updates is that there were a lot of live updates last night at one in the morning, and I don't see that they've been there. They have not been updated fast enough for me, or mm-hmm. in in enough detail for me. It's like, yeah, okay, there's power out, right? Mm-hmm. Got it. But like, show me the money shot. Show me the the basement's full of water. Show me, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to see the, I don't want to see that same roof blow off over and over. I want to yeah. see, uh, I want to see Ida pummeling Louisiana. Like, where's it at? You yeah. Know, it and always a lot comes of, in at night. That's kind of the half of the And bummer, they got to right? place their poor people. Ugh. We got to, it's just, I made a joke about this on the internet yesterday, but it's like, you know, quoting here, like, um, hello. I've been sent by, a, you know, an East Coast uh, media operation to stand in the hurricane and tell you why you should never stand in the hurricane. Mm. They, they have some guy, and they got to get the right shots. You CNN, you could tell CNN had such a hard on for this one stop sign. There's this one leany stop sign, and they kept showing the guy in front of the stop sign. And every time you're watching it, the whole time, you know, it's like waiting for a loose tooth. You know, to, to come mm-hmm. out, and you're like, oh, that thing's going to go any second. And they kept coming back to the shots with the stop sign because you know they wanted to be there when the stop sign just blew. Yeah, they were waiting. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to ha- have other people's misery be my no, television no, 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 entertainment. No. Except, but, the, but, but weather's of course, fascinating. Of course you weather, do. Of course well, it's but it's, it's not the misery per se to me, it's the, the awesomeness of nature stuff. Oh, the awesomeness of nature stuff. Yeah. The awesomeness anyway. of nature as it collides with our hubris, oh, like yeah. that's the that's the part that I. Do you remember the big storm that that hit um, Singapore or something, or or it was or Hong Kong? There was a storm that just went right in to a major like, like a Asian typhoon? city, a typhoon. Yeah, those are and those are rough. Watching the storm interact with these giant buildings that just oh, where people looked like they were a safe distance away, and there was plenty of real estate between them and the water, and then the water just goes whoosh. Well, there was there, you know, that whole tidal wave thing, but this was one where it was the wind was just the okay. wind was just you know, or the whatever the tornado was in Texas that actually like hit a a skyscraper. Like those are the ones that I really, you know, like I don't, yeah. watching watching like a like a small house get blown away. There's no, there's nothing fun in that. But watching like a dam get overtopped or a or a skyscraper get thrashed, it just it. Um, I don't. I have to say to myself every day, every time I pick up Schadenfreude, I go, no, put it down, leave it, and then I go, but but but, it's like no, put the Schadenfreude down, no. You're not allowed to play with that. And then I go, but I want to play with it. No, put it down. Mm -hmm. But I can't. I can't resist it. Everywhere I look, there's schadenfreude. Or at least 
the promise stuff like stuff like you know you should have gotten vaccinated type stuff oh all of that stuff i fight fight that one i hate it in myself instant karma instant karma you're gonna you walk around Mm -hmm. and it doesn't exist there is no such thing there is no try try not to celebrate anyone's misery if you can of course not but at the same time it's just sitting right there it just it's just sitting right there it's like it's like somebody it's like i didn't manifest it it happened out in the world but it you know? doesn't. It never does. You never. You, it never does, in any way that that's satisfying because it's not. That's not the way the universe works. Nobody really gets their comeuppance. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Like it's you never get a a, a, a belly rub out mm-hmm. of the universe. The universe is always. You're always like, oh, wow. oh it's tantalizingly. Oh, this sandwich is gonna. And that's like, nope, it's covered with sand. You <laughs> never get it. So, so you can't, but at the same time, I'm always chasing this little schadenfreude around my house going, oh, come here, come here, come here, come here. And it just, it just stays right out of my fingers. You know, my friend Brian was, uh, is a firefighter here in Seattle and, um, he became a a medic. He joined the fire department right after 9-11 and he's younger than me by a handful of years. But we knew each other in the in the early '90s. A very talented guy, just a just a, a smart and funny, gentle-hearted man, um, and somebody that like. There's a part of me that just <clears throat> will always love him, you know. Mm-hmm. And but there was but he also like in this culture of friends that we had, where everybody was kind of trying to be an artist. You know, he sort of tried to be an artist, and he made these wonderful little clay sculptures of uh, lizards that were uh, still alive but had been plated and were in the process of being eaten. So it was like you kind of mm-hmm. it was like a little clay lizard, and and it was cut into the lizard was cut into, so its viscera was there, but the lizard was looking at you at the same time. Oh my! They were pretty twisted, mm-hmm. uh, and they were wonderful. And it was like if if. Um, if lightning had struck him in a certain way, if somebody had come along and said, I'll give you $2,500 for that, but you know, it never quite, he didn't get the, like the art thing didn't grab him around the ankles. He was the one that was spearheading the whole change the billboards gang. The, um, oh, where, we would, where we used mm-hmm. to, where we culture jam, we used to climb up on the billboards and make the anti-abortion billboard say something, uh, whimsical or the, you know, the, he was really against uh, big trucks, so he would get up on those billboards that were selling trucks, and he'd be like, "Oh, I don't have a big enough penis, or whatever." You know, he was. Uh, we, oh, we did, a big, we did a big lot truck of like you'd buy from Ford. Yeah, big Ford truck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, after nine eleven, Brian went and joined the fire department, and I and I was like, "The fire department, really? Like mm. the world we're living in." Our little Capitol Hill, like, go to alternative theater world was so far away culturally from the fire department. And after 9-11, I looked into joining the military. I was I was just under the age cutoff. You know, I was, like, one year young enough that I could still <laughs> join up. Hmm. And I, you know, and I had, of course, a blown out knee. I had all these, like, things that they would have said, wow, no. And I don't think I ever, but I considered it, you know? Hmm. Yeah. It it just felt like I'd always, because I've always admired the, the services and I've been fascinated by military culture. You know, it's a, it plays a large role in my cosmology. And I thought maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time that I join up and do my part, you know? Um, I'm always trying to think of ways to not think of ways. There are lots of ways, but I'm always trying to do my part. It's important to you and, to uh, make yourself useful. It feels yeah, like. Yeah. And it ended up that there was, that there was zero need for me with my broken knee and my bad eyes and my 35 year oldness to join the military. But Brian, who was 30, joined the fire department and he, became a firefighter and you know it's like being a community college professor you don't just get to pick where you go they send you places and so he's mm. fight, fighting fires out in Kitsap County he's stationed at some fire department out in in B, uh in the boonies and um eventually he makes his way through the 
system to Seattle. And I kept thinking he was never going to, he was never going to, uh, go all the way with this. Like at what point are you going to quit the fire department? Cause you gotta be kidding me. I mean, it's great. It's wonderful. Thank God. Thank God you're there. But firemen have mustaches. Firemen live in suburban housing developments. Firemen do not make big pots vote. of chili. They do. They don't vote Democrat or you're talking about the kind where you like because like I had I had a friend in uh, after high school who had a series of kind of like nervous breakdowns and, and became a volunteer fireman. He learned scuba and he became a fire fire uh, volunteer firefighter. And I think it might have been for the uniforms, but I'm not sure. But 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 like this is a like you would like get a call from home. Nobody does anybody like live at a fire station with a pole anymore. Yeah, they do. They do. They go. You spend. Yeah, I think you spend. You do shifts that are 48 hours, and then okay. you then you go home for three days. I get it. Mike Squires is a volunteer fireman up in Hudson, New York, somewhere. No kidding. Yeah, and if your fire caught on, if your house caught on fire, and then all of a sudden you looked out and there was Mike Squires struggling mm-hmm. up a ladder, you'd be like, "Come on, <laughs> what the hell?" There's no but such Brian's, thing as a retired firefighter. <laughs> Brian's very strong, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you imagine you say Mike would be like groaning. Mike's <laughs> like, "Oh God, uh, you get out fuck. of here yourself, God, fuck. throw me the cat." <laughs> I call first floor. But, you know, so Brian becomes a medic because being a fireman, like I say, the number of progressive, like politically progressive firemen mm. in the, in the, in the King County area, which is one of the most progressive, um, counties in the country, uh, like firemen are still coming in mm-hmm. from out of town with their out of town attitudes. They, they don't the live cops, in the they city. Make, around here. They make the cops look like hippies. Yeah, well, and even you know, even the 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 gay cops and the gay firemen uh, that you, you that you would think would progressivize the department <laughs> are just are just pinched face, grouchy hicks like their straight counterparts. Mm-hmm. It's the the firemen and cops. They're drugs. They're basically drugs. Yeah, it, tr- it trumps whatever your other orientations are. Right? Yeah. If you're a fireman, you're a fireman. So Brian becomes a medic. He's like, ah, I guess, you know, sitting in the fire department, there's a lot of, you know, like just sort of casual, a lack lot of, of casual racism. <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes in and then he's doing medic. So medic is like, you're always busy. There's always somebody that's ODing or somebody that's having a heart attack or, you know, or somebody that calls the medic because they're lonely. You're hmm. driving around all the time. You keep busy. And, um, and he, you know, he'd settled into a life. Because the medics cycle around the fire departments at different uh, at different speeds than, you know, it's like it's like circles within circles. And he um, he took on a leadership role, and this whole time I was very impressed. You know, I'm very impressed that he he's the type of person that would commit to a thing and then follow follow through on it. And he was following through on this way past the. Way, way past the cosplay that I initially thought it was. Right. Like the post 9-11. You thought it would be like a phase. Fa- thought it would be like a phase. Well, how, how many people joined uh, the military in 2002 and then got out as soon as they could? I mean, I, probably mm-hmm. a lot because, you know, that, that, that initial wave of like, just, just I'm going to sh- go just- fight the crusade. You could probably buy a shirt, you know, like you could buy a shirt. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like that's the, the as with a, I mean, that, sorry, I don't mean to sound callous, but as with a firefighter, uh, a a professional firefighter and a professional soldier, uh, I mean, there's a reason that that can sometimes be a patrilineal sort of occupation. You, I mean, it helps to have a certain kind of the right stuff for that job. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you've got to be a little different from other people to have those jobs. I have a nephew who's a firefighter in um, in a small town in Ohio, mm-hmm. and uh, if you can imagine the political tenor of a fire station in small town Ohio, no thanks, boy, <laughs> it really they really cover some the whole yeah. breadth of of, of ideas, um, and he's really you know, and my nephew is very much like. Um, he, I think he enjoys the work and I think that it's, you know, there's a lot of cats you got to get out of trees and houses that you have to stop from burning. Brian was doing medic stuff and I think it just, you know, like any healthcare provider, 
the 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 routine starts to drag on you. It's like another mm-hmm. OD, another, and it's part of what contributes to the collective firefighter mentality because you see people at their worst. You see uh, everybody. I, I'm, is, I'm always intrigued by jobs where you frequently encounter people who are having their worst day. And that could be something as, something as basic as like, you know, me trying to get a replacement for a canceled flight, you know, the customer service people, the person like who like has to deal with the lost luggage, like they're always dealing with angry people who are having a terrible day. And I'm not about to cut that over much slack for cops, but that's even if you're a a totally like cool doing your job cop, like you're still going to meet a lot of people who are having their worst day. And how could that not have an impact on how you look at other people? It really, and I think with the with the police in particular, the 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 training that is necessary to go into departments and say, "Look, everybody you're meeting is having their worst day, but your job is not to um, approach them as though they're doing something wrong, right? You're mm-hmm. you're uh, the the police. If you go out into the world every day, assuming everybody that you meet is a criminal, right. you're going to manifest crime oh, everywhere you sure. Are. Yeah, absolutely. And so the challenge is to go out into the world where everybody you meet is having their worst day and and assume that you, you assume nothing about them but realize that your job, your purpose here is to ameliorate that rather than to you know, to increase yeah. the pressure. If you, re- if you recruited those people based on the idea of saying you're going to become a professional at harm reduction, I think you'd get a very different sort of person showing up. With firefighters and medics, I think it's, you know, the, the class division really comes into play because the people that are having emergencies are, you know, you, you very less frequently get called to oh, put out sure. a fire. Like a, like or, a crack pipe fire or something. something well, you, you know, like you, the, fire, the fire trucks are not always running down the main street of Medina because somebody's having a, somebody's ODing. But, you know, there are neighborhoods in Seattle where the fire trucks are there every day. And the and and poverty is the is the root cause of that disease of the disease that's there, and the firemen just see that that's all they see, and so they come to think of whole stretches of the population as just being like you know it's the it's the it's the if you live in the suburbs and you look at the city and you go ah eh, they're all scumbags, like you can't you can hardly fault them. It's just that you have to because that's ends up what's happening but so brian at a certain point and i think partly because he's there and he doesn't know what else to do he gets promoted because you know what it's like if you have a job and you're like huh what what am i doing in this job it's like maybe i should try and be the manager of this department where i don't really know what i'm doing here (laughs) um and that's you know that's how he wouldn't be the first (laughs) um and then COVID happens, and nobody here in Washington knows exactly what to do, like and nobody anywhere, except we were ground zero, uh, mm. Seattle, for the Right, the, that's know, the like the first patient, COVID. the first discovered uh, U.S. case, right? Right. And so the mayor and the, and the fire chief, just trying to figure out, like, what to do, Picked Brian out of a, you know, out of just a handful of kind of lieutenants standing around, a medic and a lieutenant, and said, hey, figure out, um, you know, how we can uh, do some testing to figure out, you know, like, basically, they threw, they, they threw this idea at him, and it was a, it was a, a an undefined mandate at first, hmm. just like, uh, we have a problem COVID is here. We don't know how to tell it from the background noise. Like, like what, what should we do? Sort this out. And in a very, very short amount of time, Brian had figured out that, um, that he could train firefighters to test people for COVID. And no one else was doing what? this. That nobody, nobody else saw this as a as a firefighter job 
test people. But, you mean like just where you happen to be like out in the field and hey, you want a COVID test? Well, initially, right? You're mm-hmm. you're trying to check, you you go to a, you go to fight a fire and you're you know you're um you know you're dealing with people that might have COVID. I see. But very very quickly, he set up a system where citywide, um, you could go down to you know five or six locations in the city and get a free COVID test administered by a fire firefighter or, or a medic and get the results in a couple of days. This wow. is, you know, two, this is March, April, 2020. And interestingly, right at that, just a few months before the state of Washington had finally decided that the emissions testing that we'd been doing for 20 years or longer where every two years you had to take your car in and hook it up to a machine and make sure it's not polluting. Yeah. And that was how you got your tabs. The state of Washington said this program, which was originally designed to get all these old smoky garbage cars off the road has been a smashing success. And there are no garbage cars on the road. Now the number of cars that fail their emissions test is so small that it's not worth having this whole system, this incredible apparatus. I see. Like, and p- part of that must be a change in the kind of automobiles that get manufactured. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even, well, and even a 10, 15 year old automobile now still mm-hmm. is, you know, it hasn't, it's not like my GMCs yeah. where, where it's not going to be like the, an El Camino from the mid seventies or something. Yeah, well, and even my even mine that was built with a catalytic converter. I mean, at a certain point, that catalytic converter rusted off and <laughs> fell on the ground. Um, but but you know, I am such a small small percentage of the problem, and so they closed all the. I mean, it's a, it's amazing to think that they could have kept it open and it's just a money generator and a problem for everybody. I was going to say, I bet there's a lot of pushback from like the gas stations or whoever. Is it so? Is, we we do it. You can get it like at a gas station here. Is it like an official freestanding thing in Washington? Yeah, it was a whole system. You, it was uh, all Washington. Like, almost State like a control. DMV kind of thing. Like it's it was satellites. Oh, it was, wow. It was a big facility. You got you went on a certain day. You lined up in a big line of cars. You went up. They put they did the whole thing. So, so the only people, I mean, the government was profiting from it, but like how often does a bureaucracy just decide to dismantle itself? Oh, right. But all of a sudden, I didn't know that was a thing (laughs) around the town. We had these, these sites where it was basically, you could line up 50 cars. There were little booths. You could Mm -hmm. drive up into a covered area. There was a person in a booth that used to check your emissions, but now was going to stick a swab in your nose and get, and test you for COVID. That's incredibly progressive in its thinking. And so Brian became, Brian, Brian was the person that developed this whole system wow. for the counter, for the, for the city, for the city. And so in Seattle throughout the pandemic, going and get, getting your COVID test was a pretty painless stay in your car. The firefighters and medics were all having a great time. They were out there listening to their music. They were always funny and um, it was never, it never felt scary. And this system became like the one thing about the COVID response up here that you just, that had no, there it was, it was flawless, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was something that we all came to depend upon. If you needed a COVID test, you went down there and then they sent you your results in your email two days later. And it was in conjunction with the University of Washington. We were lucky to have the university here that was doing the processing. It's amazing this the, succeeded. The it's incredible. Well, it succeeded and all of a sudden Brian is in the news, because hmm. it's like, well, how is this working? Who, what is happening? Like, where did this come from? Most places didn't think of COVID testing as a response, as a city responsibility. You know, it was all hmm. done done other ways, right? And um, <laughs> somebody else will take and care. Not of efficient. Somebody right, and it and for profit or whatever, it, it was difficult. And so Brian's Brian becomes like the person that they that they go to with the microphone, like tell us about this. And Brian's very photogenic, and he's very this charismatic. So cool. 
Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, the he's running this whole system and he's only a lieutenant. So they had to, you know, there are a lot of people reporting to him that have seniority over him that, you know, fire departments are very seniority oriented. Right. They've got to like realign his, uh, his position or like recategorize him, I guess. Right. Right. So they gave him a, like a wartime, a brevet, uh, promotion to captain. So he became a captain in the fire department and he's, too young to be a captain. He hasn't done it. He's not like, um, he doesn't have, there are all these people uh, that he, he's are, cause like normally you'd move up by, I'm guessing that normally you move up in a structure like that by having managed more people and then well, not having managed people well, and then they give you more people to manage, et cetera, et cetera. Except in this case, his is it's less of person management and more of like programmatic project management. Like, but he wouldn't have the respect of other captains if he just got turboed up over a lot of people that were a lot older. You know, the, in the, one of the wonderful things about the U.S. military is that if you haven't screwed up, you will get promoted. Like, you're going to get promoted as you get older mm -hmm. and as you've had the job for a certain number of years. The only reason you don't get promoted is if there's a reason, like, you have to, you have to fail success is baked in and that's true up to a certain point. Like in the, in the military, you mm. will get promoted automatically up to a certain point. And then you have to start demonstrating, you know, they're not, they're not going to automatically promote you to Lieutenant Colonel. You're going to have to demonstrate um, some, some kind of leadership beyond just showing up. Right. But I've met a lot of people in the U S military who had been promoted as far as captain who, Army captain. Every, Army captain. Who mm -hmm. every, uh, right, not Navy captain, Army captain. To everyone uh, who works with two, them. Two gold, two gold bars? Two silver bars. Two gold is second lieutenant. Gold bars. Two gold bars. Two gold bars? Two silver bars? Two silver I'm spacing. bars. I'm spacing on this. I know a captain yeah, in the no. Navy is like a colonel in the Army. I'm thinking about Hawkeye. Right. I feel like he's got silver. I think the gold bar, the gold bar lieutenant is the lower rated of the two lieutenants and the silver bar is the higher ranking What's one? lieutenant. Never mind. Keep going. I'm sorry. I'm confused because um, I went to I went to Navy military school. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I That's know about different. ensigns, ensigns and stuff. And I think it's really irresponsible to have two different kinds of captains. That must that's like getting you know being a being a chiropodist and calling yourself a doctor, no offense. Anyways, yeah, no, he's got a he's got a he's he's uh spearheaded or or helped spearhead this uh, this amazing effort during uh, the pandemic. And I, I think in the fire department, even more than the military, the people that get promoted are not the are not necessarily the shining stars. They're more like the mustache peats that have just been clinging to the thing. You know, it's why you see so many mm -hmm. so many fire department officers who are like haven't climbed a ladder in a long time. Um, <laughs> like a Mike Squires. <laughs> and they really throw their weight around. And Brian just hadn't done the, he just hadn't done the time. Um, so, yeah, sure, sure. but he's not, you know, he's not a, he's not an, an official captain. It's a brevet promotion, but he's, he's definitely like got people reporting to him that didn't expect to be reporting to this, this young pretty boy who's suddenly running the whole show. And so I had Brian over the other night with a couple of friends. We hadn't seen each other in a long time. Brian's been very busy. He's running the entire city. He's saved the world. And, uh, and we're sitting around and we're having fun and we're just good to see each other. And let's have, we ordered a pizza. Uh, Scott Musgrove was here. Scott, uh, we can all agree on cheese. Musgrove was here. Oh, there you go. And Scott, at some point along the, this is the thing about doing a podcast. You never know. You never know. Mm -mm. And so we're sitting around where we're, we've all known each other since, I mean, I've known Scott since 1991, like 30 years I've known Scott. Like we're, we are tight bros in a way that 
like like we went to high school together. You know, we mm-hmm. we cannot see each other for a year, and it's never going to take a, take it away. There's nothing he could say or I could say that would ever change our friendship, uh, if for the worst. I mean, we can only get to be better friends. And we're sitting here. It was like, what should we get? Oh, let's get a pizza. It's easy to do. All right, and we're putting it together. And Scott says, well, we can all agree on cheese. You're kidding. And somehow, and he, this is Scott's sense of humor, very dry, very low, low simmer. (laughs) At some point in the last however many years, we can all agree on cheese, made it back to Scott. Oh, boy. (laughs) And he listened. He listened to the show. Oh, my God. And he never said anything to me. He He's never had that in his me. quiver for that He's long. He's been waiting. Just He's waiting. Been waiting. Waiting. Just not, waiting not, not just to, to do a good line, but like to, to have the patience to wait until actual ordering of pizza was happening. What are the chances? The, the, I mean, he, his heart, on, on one hand, maybe his heart was beating really fast because it was like, finally. You know, I've been waiting to say, well, I've never kippled for 45 years and no one has oh, ever right. asked me if i like kipling and it's there it's waiting all i yeah, need yeah, is somebody yeah, yeah. to say do you like kipling yeah it's never it has it has never happened it's I think not that's a the most popular postcard up. of all time yeah it's still a great postcard it's a great postcard but he says well we can all agree on cheese and you know everybody in the room you know i look around of course everybody's heard it because if scott's heard it they've all talked about it right it's just um, four of us. It's just Brian, Scott, Michael, and me. So if, if Scott's making this joke, Brian's heard it already mm-hmm. for sure. And so has Michael. You know, it's like somehow it made its way to them. It was a great moment. And, you know, I didn't acknowledge it. <clears throat> I was like, oh, oh okay, we'll get wow. a cheese. Get a cheese, we'll get a pepperoni. Didn't just let it, you know, if he's going to slow roll me that long, I'm going to slow roll him right back. Not even, <sighs> didn't even give him that was cruel, the satisfaction. John. That was cruel. Yeah. I was like, okay, a cheese, pepperoni. <clears throat> it was how nice. do you respond? But how do you respond? At exactly as you would expect Scott to do. Not even a raised eyebrow. Just he played it off legit. The, Jesus Christ! The, and then the pizza came, and there was a cheese pizza, and there was a pepperoni pizza, and <laughs> it was delivered all, by we, Dan Harmon. <laughs> we all thought it was. A, <laughs> we talked. We talked happily. All the great pizzas, <laughs> but the. The, 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 the point of this story was mm-hmm. that as we were sitting there with Brian and we were, and partly the, the, the party was to celebrate Brian because he'd had an, a tremendous couple of years or year and a half. He'd done all this hard work. He'd, he'd, he'd not just done a good job for himself, but he'd like actually helped people the Hell rarest yeah. uh, experience as a professional person to like. You know, you, you've done well, my son. And at a certain point we said, you know, we're talking and congratulating him and we're having a good time. And I said, but the thing was, maybe you did too good of a job. Don't you think like, where's the schadenfreude? Weren't there Mm. supposed to be, weren't there, weren't the bad people supposed to get COVID? Like, Mm -hmm. did you protect us too well? Oh, I see. And we we all sat and kind of stared at our shoes and and thought long and hard about the fact that yeah maybe he maybe he could have eased up a little bit, a couple of times. Maybe he could have uh, maybe he could have you know transmitted a, a variant instead of just there protecting. There have been times. Everybody. There are times when something like this happens. Oh, there's there's times when there's stuff like like think about the way the computer security works or whatever, and like you sometimes think like, wow, it's gonna take somebody rich and white and famous. It's gonna take a bunch of rich white famous men being affected by this before something happens. And I I won't say it out loud in the same way that you just did, but there's been a fuck ton of times, not out of Schadenfreude, but out of an abundance of we need to stop this. <laughs> uh, it's like man, if how how many people like rich white guys need to die before we take this seriously? And there were times when you're like, I can't believe they survived that. I can't believe they survived that. And it's all the poor black people and brown people who are dying. And you're like, fuck, this is like I I, I swear to God, I'm not this person. But there's this part of me that thinks we could have gotten out of this easier and earlier if it had been taken seriously by seeing people like that get it which i yeah, feel very i feel very ashamed thinking but i do think that 
I am the type of person to say that out loud. And I really was <laughs> in the end, uh, all three of us really turned on Brian and we're like, you could have stopped this whole thing a lot sooner if you had just let the disease go into certain quadrants. You could have just Johnny Appleseeded it. And, um, you blew it. You know, like how, how did it get into the white house, make everybody sick and then nobody of consequence perished. <sighs> like where, what my little schadenfreude bear is running around this house. I can't even, I couldn't even get a glimpse of it during that period. I was like, I know you're in this house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it said, he's like the little, little he's like, bear. like the little snuggle bear. Yeah. Yeah. Snuggle bear. And I was like, just please, just please let me pet you. No. Mm-hmm. So what, what, how do you respond? How do you respond to that? <laughs> you know, I asked him if I could interview him for a podcast. I was thinking the same uh, thing. And he said, <clears throat> I'm still a, um, an officer of the, I'm still a, like, uh, like a captain in the Seattle fire department. I can't go on your rinky dink little podcast and talk shit about the oh he's probably not clear to talk about it like it's in the rear view right but also like i i've got a friend who um who's you know like a like a fairly high-placed military officer now that i asked if he would come on the podcast and he said i am forbidden to come on your podcast it would be it would be an idiotic move for me, suicidal even, for me to come on your show and let you ask me impolitic questions because, like, my job requires that I not mm-hmm. comment on any of those things that you would love me to comment on, that that we could talk about on, in, in private, but <laughs> Especially not. if you want to talk about drones, right? <laughs> and, and it's the same with Brian. He's like, you know, we can sit around here, we have a good laugh, but I, you know, like, I'm on TV tomorrow. Like, there's no way I'm going to be on your your yeah, your silly yeah, ass yeah. show. This is why all of you people keep uh, not getting uh, uh, picked for to game shows. Because oh, you, interesting. Because you got you got uh, you're creating receipts, as they say. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. give don't create receipts. And I feel I feel like I can uh, <clears throat> I can tell this story about Brian on the show because. You know, everybody that listens to the show knows that I make up all these stories. It's a hundred percent false story. It's never caused a problem for you for nope, somebody nope. to Ten not years be of, sure how much of something is true or not. Ten years of doing the show and, and, and every every one of our listeners knows um that it's uh it's a it's a make believe show full of make believe mm. stories. I think I think your show, your your anecdotes uh exist in a quantum state. Of some kind, hmm. where they're on the hmm. one hand a thousand percent true, and on the other yes. hand a thousand percent false. And I'm not sure what cracks that nut, but just because you say it on the show doesn't make it one way or the other. It does not end the mystery. That's right. That's right. The the um, in this sense, consciousness is not the observer that's going to determine mm. the state of the story. Mm-hmm. It's something else. It's it might not even else. be a cat. Hmm. In the box. Hmm. Hmm. It's a uh, I no, I got I got the cat in the box. It might yeah, no, understand. It's not reference. a cat. Yeah. It's, it's not a, a cat. It's a it's a Schrodinger's snuggle bear. <laughs> I love <Ooh>. you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't catch me. I'm too fast for you. <laughs> you can't catch me. <laughs> <laughs>